My name's Sam, if we haven't met. <laughs> um, I've been a part of this church for um, going on 21 years, 21 years this September. So I was a kid when I first came. Um, I'll tell you just a tiny bit about me in case I haven't. There's a few people that I don't know. Um, I'm married to Mark, who was leading worship this morning. Uh, we've been married for almost five years, and together we... Um, we run the young adult ministry of this church and also the worship ministry across Lifegate Church. And it is a huge privilege to do that together. Um, and we believe that they are the greatest ministries of Lifegate Church. And we are just, yeah, um, so incredibly honoured to be able to be a part of both of those ministries. We have an incredible group of young adults in this church. We are very blessed. The next generation is looking strong and that encourages us so much and I hope it encourages you too. Um, our theme for this year is one and um, our key passage is, let me just turn this on, our key pas pa passage from John 17 is my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, which is us. We're the ones who believe in him through the message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And Nathan has talked about the fact that from this prayer, that Jesus prays for his disciples and that he prays for us, we see that it is his desire that we would be one church, that the church would be one in their love for one another, that we will be one in our purpose. And the second point in this theme is that we would be one with God in our intimacy. And this morning it's the second part of this theme that I want to focus on this morning by looking at what it means to put God first in our lives. I might just pray and then we're going to dive into that. God, I thank you for this incredible church. God, I thank you for this theme of one and I thank you what you've already brought out of this theme for us over the last couple of weeks. And God, I just pray now as we look at what it means to put you as number one in our lives that, Holy Spirit, you would speak, that you would touch our hearts this morning, that our ears would be open to you, Jesus, and what it is that you want to say to us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Two weekends ago, um, the blokes went on the blokes' escape. Who went away to that? A couple of hands up. Well, um, Mark and I don't spend many nights away, but obviously this was one night that we had to spend away from each other. So we have a nice queen-size bed, so I got into bed nice and late, making sure I was really tired, so I hopefully didn't really notice that he wasn't there. And I starfished on the bed, and I had a great night's sleep. But somewhere in the morning, in the early hours, I had an extremely vivid dream. I regularly um, get some strange dreams of ways of God's trying to speak to me. And in this dream, I was sitting in my living room of an old flat that I lived in a couple of years ago before we were married. And Mark was there with me and he was explaining to me that he was seeing somebody else. And he was making it very clear to me that he 
It's all right. It's okay. It's just a dream. It's just a dream. Doesn't reflect reality. Just a dream. He was making it very clear to me that he didn't want our relationship to end. He just wanted to also see this other woman. So as this is ringing in my ears, this beautiful blonde walks in the front door and Mark looks at me and says, so what do you think about this? (laughs) In my mind, I'm thinking, well, I love this guy. I've invested into this relationship. Like, I don't want this relationship to end, but man, she's she's really pretty. And then, just then, I noticed that there's three other people in the room that I hadn't realised were there before. There were three young girls raging in the age from three to 13. And as I looked at them, something within me rose up. And I said, no, I am not okay with this. I deserve to be someone's number one. And I'm not going to teach the next generation that they should settle for anything less. And just like that, I woke up and I thought, what the heck was that? (laughs) And in my half-asleep state, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, how often do we as Christians treat God just like that? That he deserves to be our one But how often do we put him down a list of priorities? He becomes one of the many demands on our time, on our thoughts and on our attention. Now, I just want to say again before I go any further, this does not reflect reality whatsoever. My husband is a wonderful man (laughs) who treats me very, very, very well. And this was just simply a way of God getting my attention and got me thinking down the path of what it means for God to be our one. Now, if I was to ask you to finish this sentence, what are some of the words that pop into your mind? Life is, yell them out at me. First thing that comes, unexpected. I miss that. Nice and loud. Lonely. Awesome. Great, good, full, a challenge, amusing, confusing, messy, journeys. When I talk with friends and family, some of the words I often hear is life is full, it's busy, it's chaotic, it's stressful, it's beautiful, it's crazy, it's hard, it's a balancing act, it's precious, it's hectic. It's short. And when I preached this at Liverpool last week, I heard life is like a box of chocolates. (laughs) An average day for most Aussies looks like getting up at the crack of dawn, stumbling to the coffee machine, wishing that I'd gone to bed earlier, showering, dressing, eating on the way to work to try and avoid the morning traffic chaos, working an eight to 10 hour day, coming home, cooking dinner, doing some housework, spending some time with your significant other. And then if there's children in the mix, then adding them into the the crazy chaotic busyness, trying to get to bed at a reasonable hour. Now, obviously I'm totally generalizing here, but I reckon that if I pass the mic around the room this morning, we would hear those kind of stories of full, 
busy lives, either now or you can relate to that at some point in your journey. Life can be full. When God gave the Ten Commandments, he thundered these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Here God is declaring, I am to be your number one. Now as Christians we know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. At a head level we know that God is to come first. We know the first commandment. God is to be our number one. That nothing should come before him. But we're a church who likes to get real. And if we were real with one another this morning, could we honestly say that that's the reality of our lives all the time? I want to spend some time this morning just exploring this idea of what it means to have God as our one, what it means to put him first. And I want to start by saying that putting God first equals a lifestyle of worship. A lifestyle of worship is a life that honours God. It's a life that points other people to God. A lifestyle of worship is a heart attitude that is open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. It's a life that is dependent upon God. A lifestyle of worship is putting God first. Now Daniel is a great example of a man who put God first in his life, a man who lived out a lifestyle of worship. He was an Israelite living in Judah during the time that King Nebuchadnezzar overtook Judah. And he took the Israelites into captive in Babylon. And Daniel and his few mates were among those people that were taken into captivity. They had been shipped off to a foreign land where they spoke a different language. They served different gods. They were constantly tempted by the, the customs of this foreign place, the culture that tried so hard to strip them of their identity as God followers and push them into doing things a different way. Does that sound familiar this morning? As Christians, the Bible tells us that our home is heaven, that earth is a foreign land, that this is not our home. We are foreigners in a strange place. The language is different. The people serve different gods. We're constantly tempted by the culture of the society that we live in, a culture that values money, success, and if it feels good, it must be good, a culture that tries to dictate to us what our identity should be, and a culture that's filled with a multitude of distractions, demands and priorities and it's in this foreign land that we in 2017 find ourselves called to live out this calling to be people who put God first so let's have a look at the life of Daniel and see what we might be able to um, grab from his experience this morning firstly Daniel chose character over status. Daniel was a man of exceptional character. I've been reading through the book of Daniel the last couple of weeks and wow, what a guy. What a guy. He was a humble man 
He never tried to promote himself. When the king started to have dreams that he could make no sense of, Daniel was given the opportunity to interpret the dreams. And when he did, he gave all the credit back to God. All the credit back to God. We read in Daniel 2.27 that Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Now Daniel didn't puff out his chest and go, look at me. I've interpreted this dream. Look how great I am. He points the people back to God. He makes no attempt to promote himself and in doing so chooses character. Daniel was also a man of integrity. We read in Daniel 6.4 that the administrators and the governors tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They found no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. There were certainly no skeletons in Daniel's closet. There was nothing for these guys to be able to find when they looked hard enough. He was honest, he was honourable, he was upright. And unlike some of the guys he worked with who schemed and conspired in order to make their way up the ranks and to make a name for themselves, Daniel chose character. And finally we read in Daniel 1.8 the kind of man that Daniel was. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, but he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. And instead, Daniel, choosing to keep the laws of Moses, lived on a diet of vegetables and water. Now, I don't know what was a part of the royal food, but I reckon it would have been pretty delicious. But Daniel chose, rather than to defile himself with food that was most likely being dedicated to other gods, he chose character. He chose not the status of eating the royal food, but he chose humility to do it God's way. By choosing character over status, Daniel put God first in his life. He honoured God by his lifestyle. He pointed other people to God. He acknowledged God. He glorified God in his achievements. And we face the same choice every day. When we choose to keep short accounts, to forgive, to keep no record of wrongs, we're choosing character. When we choose to practice self-control by holding our tongues, by choosing our words wisely, by not entering into gossip or slander, we're choosing character. When we credit God for our achievements and our successes, we're choosing character and we're pointing other people to God. When we honour our employers by working 
really hard, even when the boss isn't around. We're choosing character. When we sacrifice our time and our money so that the kingdom of God can be advanced on earth, we're choosing character. All of these choices bring honour to God, bring glory to God and point other people to God and equal a lifestyle of worship, of putting God first. The second point I got from reading through Daniel's life was that he chose discipline over comfort. Discipline's a word that we often don't really like as human beings, but it is so important. Daniel 6.10 says that when Daniel learnt that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Three times a day God set us up, Daniel set aside specific time to be with God. Three times a day he got with God, he thanked God, he spent time in prayer with God. Now Daniel was a pretty important guy in Babylon. By this time in the story, he'd been appointed one of the three administrators who ruled over the kingdom under the king. And he was so good at his job that the king was planning to put him in charge of his whole kingdom. So I reckon Daniel was a pretty busy man. He had a stack of responsibility and authority. He was obviously trusted by the king. And yet... In that life of responsibility, authority, no doubt busyness, he made time to get away with God three times a day. And it got me thinking, I wonder what comforts he might have had to give up in order to do that, in order to make those times a priority with God. The Bible doesn't tell us, but I wonder what he might have had to have given up. Maybe he got up early in the morning, forfeiting extra sleep in order to pray. Maybe he prayed during his lunch break, forfeiting food in order to pray. Maybe when his workmates were kicking back, relaxing at the end of the day, having a chat, Daniel just quietly excused himself, forfeiting maybe relaxing and hanging out with friends in order to go to his room and pray. What comforts do we need to give up so that we can make time for God to choose discipline? Maybe it's sleep, maybe it's television, maybe computer games, Facebook, socialising in the lunchroom with friends. None of us are too busy to find time to get away with God. But it might mean that we need to give away some comforts that we hold dear. There is absolutely nothing more sacred in life than that time that we spend one-on-one -on -one with God. What we do here is really important. 
but what we do in the privacy of our own room or lounge room, there's nothing more important than those moments. And if we don't choose discipline, they won't just happen. They won't. Something else will fill that time. Choosing to be disciplined with our time needs to be a deliberate action. Now, I didn't mention before, but for nine years, I was the youth pastor of this church. So one of the things that young people, they don't necessarily always have a very long attention span. So one of the things that I learned to do was object lessons. And I think they're still kind of in me somewhere because as I was planning this message, I thought an object lesson would be a lot of fun. So I want to think I want you to think about this jar as your life. Inside of it I've already got the important things. Things like everyone's important things are going to be different, but maybe things like your family, your friends, your kids, work might be one of your important rocks. They need to go into the jar of our life first. Now I've got slightly smaller rocks. These things are going to represent things like exercise, if you're into that, eating healthy, maybe going on holidays, church commitments. And if we give it a little bit of jiggle, they kind of just fit around the important things, the big rocks. Now I've got some other smaller little pebbles and these things are going to represent maybe watching TV, going shopping, reading a book, stuff like that. And again, if we give them, I, can't, I caught it. If I give it a little bit of a jiggle, they kind of just move around the big rocks as well. And that's kind of what we need to do in life sometimes, don't we? We need to juggle things. Now that life is looking pretty busy, pretty busy, pretty full. But somehow we still manage to find time for things like Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, just surfing the net in general, stuff like that. Now my life is really full. I've pretty much got very little chance of fitting anything else in there without something spewing over and making a bit of a mess. But I've forgotten to put one of my important things in. I've still got my God rock here. I've got absolutely no chance of getting this into my life because I didn't put it in first. Now, it's just an analogy with rocks. <laughs> But if we don't put the big rock in first, if we don't put God in first, he's not going to fit because we'll always find other things to fill it with. And so I don't know what that might look like for you. For me, it's literally it's got to go in my diary because if it's not in my diary, then I will fill life with other stuff. 
I'm not sure what that might look like for you, but can I encourage you to make time to think about what are my big rocks with God as the first big rock and how am I putting them into my life first? How am I making them a priority with my time first before filling it with all the other stuff that our culture and our society are going to throw at us? The third thing that I got from Daniel's life is that Daniel chose love over fear. As I mentioned earlier, Daniel had gained the trust of the king and he was in line to become the chief over the kingdom. Now some of the advisors and administrators, they were trying to scheme and conspire their way up the ranks. And so they weren't too happy about Daniel's big promotion. So they got the king to issue a decree saying, that for the next 30 days, if anyone prays to another god or human other than the king, they should be thrown into the lion's den. Now, upon hearing this decree, what do we think Daniel's response could have been? Could have been, well, it's just 30 days. I can go 30 days without praying. Or could have been, well, I could just pray in private. No one's going to know. Like if I just pray in my head. No one's going to know I'm praying. But no, that's not what our Daniel did. He got down on his knees in front of a massive big window that people could see in and he prayed three times a day, in fact. Daniel chose his love for God over the fear that he might have had for the king or for the lions. Okay, I need you to listen. I need to make something really, really clear. Daniel did not have the book of Daniel. He did not know how this story was going to end. He also had never heard the children's song, Daniel spent the night with lions. He didn't know that God was going to shut the mouths of the lions. And yet, he chose love. He chose love over fear. I think that this point is absolutely pivotal. His love for God was so much greater than any fear he may have been experiencing. And it was this love that fueled him to do everything else that he did that fueled his character, that fueled his discipline. Daniel's life wasn't about trying to be a good person. It was a love affair with the Most High God, the creator of the universe. His life was all about putting God first. So choosing a lifestyle of worship, a lifestyle of putting God first, involves for us stepping into that love relationship. It is here that we recognise that God is supreme, that God is holy and that he is the one that changes us from the inside out. He is the one that transforms us into the likeness of Christ. And without this love relationship, even my first two points are in danger of becoming religion. Without love, our desire 
to be people of character could mean that we are motivated by being a good person. And without love, our desire to live a disciplined life could be motivated by just ticking the boxes of, I did that, I spent time with God today. Our love for God needs to overarch and underpin everything else. It's what motivates us to stand up for the truth of the gospel in a culture that wants to belittle it and bring it down and those who stand for it. It's a love relationship that looks like including him in all that we do, asking him for direction and wisdom and celebrating with him in the victories. So how do we live a life of worship, of putting God first? Well, I think we need to be a Daniel. We need to choose character, discipline and love. We choose character when we make the decision to keep short accounts, forgive quickly, acknowledge God in our achievements and we're careful and we're deliberate with our words and our language. We choose discipline when we make it a priority to spend time with God first, when we are deliberate about what goes into our life first. And lastly, a lifestyle of worship must be driven by love. Love for our incredible Father in heaven who has created us, who has set us free from sin, death and shame and who has given us a purpose. And this love relationship looks like thinking about him during the day, talking with him throughout our day, including him in our decisions, thanking him when things are going great and seeking wisdom when things aren't going so great. Now, I started this morning by talking about that dream that I had. As a church, we've, um, Nathan has cast the vision and we've been talking about the Generations Offering. The Generations Offering is about setting up resources and facilities for the generations to come. And as I was thinking about my dream, I thought it was not a coincidence that there was three kids in that, in that dream. The next generation are growing up in a fast-paced society. When I was a kid, there was no way that my answer to how are you would have ever been busy. And yet when I connect with young people, I often hear that as an answer. I'm busy. We're busy. The family's busy. They're growing up in a world that is demanding, distracting, stressful, busy, full. It's just the reality of it. And so they desperately need to see us exampling what it means to put God first modelling to them what it means to live a lifestyle of worship. And that's mums and dads, leaders, mentors, pastors, role models. It's all of us because we're all in this together, whether you're a parent or a grandparent or not. The next generation are watching us to see how to navigate through a culture, a society that is bombarding them we have a responsibility to model 
what putting God first looks like to these precious young ones. I'm going to invite the worship team up and we're going to have just an opportunity to respond to God as we worship now. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't actually made that decision to follow Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus. Then I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, then you will be saved. Making a confession of faith is the first step in a life-changing relationship with Jesus. So if you would like to make that confession of faith, then I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. And we're going to join with you as a church family. So I'm going to pray, church, and would you repeat this after me? Dear God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died and rose again. I'm sorry for living my life away from you. I choose today to become a follower of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.